Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Okay, so you know normally if there's a chance to preach on the Old Testament, I am all there. But my options were kind of limited because the really fun ones were in Jonah and we just did a series on that. And then there's this story in the New Testament, which every time I read it, it's kind of, I learn something new about it and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit delighted in equal measure. And these are one of two stories in the Gospels that really anger my mother. The one is Mary and Martha. It's a story she hates. She finds it really annoying that Jesus commends Mary and is angry with Martha. And this is the other one that really gets her goat. She cannot stand it. It irritates her. She's like, I just don't like God in this story. And to be honest, I think most of us read this and kind of get it. And the same with this Old Testament reading today, where it says basically at the end, like your hand is lifted high in generosity, but they don't see it. That even though God is being kind and righteous and gracious, that the people are just not seeing God's generosity and graciousness for what it is. So we find this story in Matthew 20, sandwiched in between a couple of other texts, which give us some idea about the context of this. So first of all, we have the little children to coming to God. And then we have the story about it being very difficult for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven without giving up all his possessions, which he does not want to do. And then there's this little bit in the middle where the disciples are asking, well, if this guy can't make it, who can make it except for Peter? God love him, who says, well, we gave up everything to follow you. So what's in it for us? Which is a response that I just love. And then after this story, we have um, the, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, and she is saying to Jesus, surely there's got to be the best seat in heaven for my two darling boys. And this is the story that we find in the middle. So I think it's pretty obvious and we can all agree that the wealthy landowner is meant to be God. And it's meant to be a story about his generosity. And there's a few things that are unusual in that It is the landowner out recruiting his own staff, which wouldn't normally happen. Normally, he would send his agent to do this. And if it was his agent, you can be certain that he would have been an awful lot of trouble for being so recklessly generous with the master's money. And so the first workforce are hired, and they agree to work for this fixed sum. And then those hired at 9 and 12 and 3 are told that they will be paid only what is fair. No other clarity given. And then those hired at five, there's not even a single mention of money from the landowner to the, per- to the people. They're just probably thankful that there is some work, some food for their family, and they know not to look a gift horse in the mouth. So the sensible thing, if you were the landowner in this situation and you wanted to be generous, is that you would pay them in the order in which they arrived and avoid any kind of confrontation whatsoever. But he doesn't. And so he raises the expectation of those hired earliest by this flamboyant, big-hearted generosity to those who arrived late. But when he gets to them, it's not so. They are paid exactly what was agreed. And how hard that must have been. The others could work less and be rewarded the same. And of course, as the gospel reminded us, it's the landowner's money. He can do whatever he likes with it. There is something about this story that just doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel just. So what does it mean? 
Well, this is where it gets a little complicated because there is the fail-safe interpretation, which I think we can all easily get on board with. And that is everyone gets to heaven, even if they follow Jesus on their deathbed or if they follow Jesus from when they were born and they're a cradle Episcopalian. It's not the years of faithful service. It's the willingness to go to the vineyard. And I think that's true. But I also think that that is a little bit too easy. And it definitely doesn't speak enough to me. It's far too easy for us to get on board with and agree that God's mercy for sinners is a lovely thing that he'll do for everyone. Hurrah. So, where else may it lead us? Let's raise the stakes. What are you worth? In the West, we so often view our wages as a representation of our value. How many times have you been in the office or around and about or in the bar and you've heard someone explain to someone else they work with that they're just not paid what they're worth? Have you ever wondered whether you might be more valued if you were somewhere else, out of the home or in a workplace or in a different organisation? Or, most irksome of all, how often have you seen a colleague who you view as considerably less proficient than yourself paid more or be awarded a higher bonus? We're taught from a really early age that fairness matters. Watch any kind of age of children that can speak and it won't be long before you can hear someone say, that's not fair. And I was thinking about this memory from my childhood when I was probably five, maybe four. And in Britain, we serve Brussels sprouts in the most disgusting way that you can begin to imagine. In that we boil them and then we just serve them boiled and they are revolting and so I thought for all these years until I moved to America that I hated Brussels sprouts it turns out I just hate boiled Brussels sprouts because it's disgusting and so when I was five my mother puts five Brussels sprouts on my plate and only three on that of my 18 month old younger sister and I actually counted the Brussels sprouts on my plate and the fact that I still remember at 38 years old suggests how deeply ingrained within us this concept of fairness is. Or that the fact that my sister was allowed to do things within six months of me being allowed to, despite being, me being two years older. And it's not just children. As adults, we want fairness too. And sometimes we want fairness even more than we want love and acceptance and mercy or forgiveness or generosity. Fairness appears to be really attractive because it's so very predictable. And it seems straightforward. It can give this illusion of order and predictability and control. But it's a false assurance because how often does it really work out that way? Fairness is based on what we think we deserve. It's based on how hard we work. It's based on what we achieve. It's the way we behave. Sometimes it's fair to give a reward and other times a punishment. And so we live in and we promote this wage-based society where you deserve what you get. Thus, we can all rest assured that we each deserve the consequences, good or bad, of each of our actions. Except, of course, when we really think about it, we don't. A million factors play into our hard work and our good fortune, our education and our upbringing, our contacts, and a fair degree of luck, too. I want to tell you a story about my friend Sam. She is my age, we went to school together, 
And she has loved horses since she was like four and had them all her life. And she decided that she wanted to be an equine vet. And she's now one of the most renowned equine vets in the UK. And she's part of a practice that does all kinds of veterinary work, like cows, horses, dogs, cats, hamsters, the full works. And they, and she is the kind of person, she's actually a specialist in insemination, which sounds really revolting. So she has to do all kinds of disgusting things. And also, she has to get up at three o'clock in the morning to walk around a field for five hours with a horse that has colic. Like, it is long hours, and it's thankless, and it's dirty, and I don't know how she finds it fun, but she seems to love it. And so she works in this practice, and, every, and she's a partner, and every year they gather statistics And this is her first year of partnering, she's looking forward to seeing, because obviously paying for the insemination of a horse, it's an expensive enterprise, looking forward to seeing how her work tallies up with everyone else. And in her practice, there are also the small animal vets, you know, the ones that like give you a hamster antibiotics and treat your dog for mange and spay the occasional cat. Her colleagues who do that kind of business, who only work between nine and three every day, bring in like 70% of the income into her practice. And she, who's working all these crazy hours, brings in a much smaller proportion of what goes on. And yet the partners decide that they're going to pay everybody the same, recognizing they need each other and that their diversity is one of their strengths. But it was a very controversial and very difficult decision for all of those partners and that practice to make. There's a wonderful Episcopal priest in Uvalde whose writing I love. He writes this. What happens when divine goodness trumps human fairness? You get today's parable. Today's parable suggests that wages and grace stand in opposition to each other, that they are two opposing worldviews. The degree to which this parable strikes us as unfair is the degree to which our life and our worldview is wage-based. A wage-based worldview allows little room for grace in our lives or the lives of others. That's not how a wage-based society works. The world says that the last are last and the first are first because they deserve it. It's what is fair. Our understanding of fairness, however, does not seem to have priority in the kingdom of heaven where grace is the rule and not the exception. Grace looks beyond our productivity, our appearance, our dress, our race, our ethnicity, our accomplishments, or our failures. Grace recognizes that there is more to you and who you are than what you have done or left undone. Grace reveals the goodness of God. Wages reveal human effort. Grace seeks unity and inclusion. Wages make distinction and separate. Grace just happens and wages are based on merit. The only precondition of grace is that we show up and open ourselves to receive what God is doing. So how is it that we can begin to see our lives and the world and our neighbor differently? How can we begin to understand that our value and our worth is not even remotely linked to our wages? They're a stroke of luck for our skills in the marketplace. What about our neighbor? As we read, we notice the early workers complaining about the wage they agreed to work for. What is really happening? Is it just that they feel like they should have got more? How often have you been passed over for someone more inept or worse 
someone less holy. You pray, you love, you feed the homeless, but they got married first and I didn't. You are honest in your taxes and you know he isn't and he is a mean boss, but his family aren't having fertility issues. You're handsome, you're ahead of your sorority, you got immaculate grades, but somehow your wayward younger sibling is earning more than you. Why, God, it's not fair. This is where our heart is really revealed. Our jealous and insecure hearts that make us cry out, it's not fair, why them? I know them, they're ghastly. Our human hearts are so ugly and it's really hard to celebrate another person getting the thing you've always wanted. They could be Jesus himself and it would be hard. But when we perceive that they're less than us in some way, it stings even harder. This story sets out to remind us that that sting is not a righteous dis-ease. It's indicative of our jealousy and our judgmental spirit. And it's so hard to realise that when we look at ourselves and some people will use the concept of fairness to avoid it at all costs. Somehow, we have to get to the place where we realise what we deserve. If you are from a very strict evangelical or a very Catholic background, then you know the miserableness of your sinfulness so well. And we have to come to terms to embrace the fact that God would want to be gracious to us and that wretched as we are, he can still use us. Some of us find, some others among us find it hard to realise that God doesn't need us, but he chooses us. The very fact that we are here in his house with this glorious music and these wonderful people about to encounter God in bread and wine is grace. There is breath in our lungs. God hasn't turned his back on us, just as he did in Adam and Eve. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve eternity in the sublime presence of God because we're all a total mess. But God has chosen us. And somehow we have to get each of these difficult and impossible things. We have to get our head around both of these things. And we swing from the depth of our sinfulness to the depth of God's love so easily without finding the middle ground. Finally, the story would remind us that comparison is the thief of all joy. If those who had started early on in the day hadn't paid attention to everybody else and their rewards, there would have been no space for bitterness or dislike of the master. And instead they looked at the others and they complained about their master's character and they adopted this attitude of moral superiority. Comparison in all aspects of our lives robs us of contentment and the joy of seeing God's provision. So what does it look like for us to pursue God's economy? For us to put aside this wage-based mentality and comparison and competition and jealousy and judgment, however subtle it permeates our lives? And how do we go about laying aside rivalries and jealousies and insecurities? Here are my three suggestions. Number one, refuse to compete in such a way that someone else must lose in order for you to win. Refuse to compete in such a way that someone else must lose in order for you to win. Trust that in God's world, there is enough for everybody and that he will bless everybody as he chooses. Let's let go of our expectations based on what we think we might deserve. 
to. Learn to genuinely pray this line in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Give God the freedom to pay whatever is right to anybody, knowing that his ways are not your ways. Thirdly, catch yourself when you make judgments about other people being treated better than you or justifying someone's more lowly position. There's this wonderful saying, when you encounter a situation, your first thought, your first response is the response that you have been conditioned to think by your upbringing, by your experience, by your first boss, by whatever it is. But it is your second thought that betrays your character. How we respond to that initial reaction, how we evaluate it and look at it, and how we judge ourselves and change ourselves is where we really know our character. Giving up on fairness in pursuit of grace is a very costly endeavour. As we slowly start to unpick our concept of what's fair, we realise that it's maybe not so black and white. How prejudiced we are by our own community or our own experience or that first boss that we had or our culture and how much that has shaped us. Because sometimes what is fair can actually also be cruel. Um, May I have the image that I emailed you? I think this is a really good example. Top line, everybody gets the same mic. Totally fair. If you've got legs that are as short as mine, my feet are not touching those pedals. What is fair is not always what is kind. And God is more generous again. Like This doesn't even cover the extent of God's grace and how he loves to give good gifts to his people beyond what anyone needs or what they deserve. Grace is dangerous because it reverses business as usual. So the last will be first and the first will be last. But this is the heart of God. From the very story of creation until today, he knows to treat us fairly would be cruel. We would be separated from him. We would be lonely. We would have no hope. So like the landowner to the workers, we can be all in, working hard from the beginning of our lives, or we can be ambling around the marketplace until the 11th hour, waiting for someone to notice us, and his love is the same. Even as an early worker, after a few days of calling off and reflection, I imagine that this landowner is the kind of person that they would want to work for. Someone generous, someone who welcomes those unwelcomed by others, someone who deals generously with those who serve him, someone who goes to the marketplace himself rather than sending someone else, and someone who keeps his promises. Is it fair? No, but thank God it's not fair. This is the kingdom of heaven, and this is us pursuing it. Grace upon grace upon grace. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Artney. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. Be sure to give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to us. It's always appreciated. 
If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.